I want to talk about your greatest battle. Right now in your mind, I want you to think about the greatest battle you're fighting now or may fight tomorrow. Some of you are going to say, well, it's a health thing or it's a, maybe it's a financial thing, it's a relationship thing. But really the greatest battle that you fight is with you. Because inside that little voice that speaks to you, sometimes there's doubt. Sometimes there's fear. Sometimes there's just neglect of what God has said. And I really believe if we can align our heart back to say, God, I, I know you see me in my weakness, and I want to take this battle that I have, and I want to give it over to you and let you take care of this battle. Amen? You know, someone has said if a man can stand himself, he can stand an awful lot. A lot of truth in that. But let me give you a couple of thoughts. Your past does not define you. It prepares you. Everything that's happened in your life that's challenging and difficult, everything that's good and blessing and beneficial, it prepares you for this moment. And sometimes you just need to stop long enough and say, God, I am prepared for this moment in time. Instead of saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, or I don't know what, how I'm going to face that problem. No, you are prepared for it. And remember, the, the God who is in you, the greater that is in you than in the world, is capable. And sometimes what God is really looking for is us to admit our weakness so that we find his strength, find his love, find his grace, find his power. Another one is, life is really a collection of miracles, have you ever, you ever done that little game, you know, we used to have, do it with our kids to, because they were not grateful, and we would say, all right, what are you thankful for? And they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, I'm thankful, you know, and they're kind of doing that thing. And I wonder if that's how God looks at us sometimes. Have you done a list of what you're grateful for? Have you taken the time to say, God, my life is really a collection of miracles, Oh, yeah, in between miracles, there's challenges, but that's what gave rise to the miracle, was it not? It was the difficulties. It was the low times, the hard times when you're in the valley. And, you know, we don't live on the mountain all the time. We may want to, but we don't live on the mountain all the time. Today I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman is found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at this scripture together, but Naaman was a leper. Now, we don't hear a lot about that today. It's interesting that when we pastored in just outside of Baton Rouge, uh, not too far from there, there was actually a leper colony. I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was pretty large. It was two or 3,000 people were in this leper colony. And you think, is that possible? Well, in Louisiana, a lot of things are possible, amen? But, but you think about that, what would that mean? Children would grow up in that, in that community, many of lepers, many of them not. And it was, a, it was a mark of just, in the Old Testament, it was especially a mark of being unclean. And they were required, whenever they would travel, they had to announce within the Jewish circles, they had to announce, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Imagine the social stigma that went with that. If you think you're challenged with your own feelings and your own thoughts and your, your, who you are as a person, imagine that. Well, Naaman was that man, and we're going to look at his story, because the greatest battle that he fought was not his leprosy. And I'm going to suggest that some of the things that you listed as your greatest battle are not your battle at all. They're just the fruit, the manifestation of the real battle in your heart. 
How many times have you gone before God and said, God, you know, I'm not worthy? You know, now God knows that already. But how many times have you really meant it to the point of change, of moving away from that thing that is stopping you? You know, we don't talk a lot about sin anymore in the, in the church, do we? It's almost kind of like we just move past that and get on to the good stuff. But, it, you know, we're going to see in the life of Naaman, it wasn't his lack of faith. It was his lack of obedience. Sometimes we, we think we don't have faith, but really what God is showing us, we don't have obedience to God. And I'll tell you what, when I was preparing this sermon, and I've, I've preached on this before years ago. I haven't preached on it recently, but I've preached on it before. And it, it was, I, I looked back on a sermon outline I had, and I said, well, this is nothing what I'm seeing today. There's nothing I can use in this old sermon except the Scripture. God said, I want to give you something fresh. I want to give you something new. It's what God is saying to every one of us this morning. I want to give you some new manna from heaven. I want to give you some new words from heaven. I want to give you insights you don't get in the world. You only get them from the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of Syria. Now Syria is in the news right now, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how uh, when we're talking out of the Bible that we see so many parallels. You're going to see some parallels with what we're reading today and what's going on today in the Middle East. It says he was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. But he also was a a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Have you got a but at the end of your explanation, your bio? You say, well, you know, this, 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 and you've got some accolades, you've got some accomplishments, but then you have to put on there, but there's something holding me back. There's something challenging my life that if I could get through that, I really believe I could find happiness, I could find joy, I could find power, I could find what I'm really looking for. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, we like to get to that last part. Give me some of those riches, honor, and life, God. He says, well, you're going to have to come with humility and the fear of the Lord. Are you humble today? You know, if you answer yes, you've probably got some work to do. Amen? You know, it's like, yes, I'm, a, I'm the humblest guy I know in town. Well, you may, you may need a little work, amen? Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. God resists the proud. You see, when I'm living in pride, God is pushing away so that I can learn humility. Sometimes you feel like God is pushing you away or God is distant. God is sometimes bringing you into the place of understanding what it means to walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to really live for God? It says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The one thing we should pray for is humility. The one thing we should never brag about is humility. Amen. Have you ever met someone who's really humble? And I mean, they're really sincerely, spiritually humble. and you're, They're so attractive, isn't it? Just go like, I, I don't know what that person has, but I want some of that. And if you bring it up to them and you say something to them, they'll deny it because they're not looking for it. 
But when you walk in the fear of the Lord and humility before God, there's something that just kind of comes out of you. And here's, here's kind of the formula. It says, therefore, what do I do? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God, I want to come humbly to you. I want to come in grace. I want to come in humility. I want to come as a servant. I want to come as your, your son, your daughter. I want to come to you, God. And God says, you know, when you come with that attitude, guess what? Look what the rest of this verse says, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, it's not that God doesn't want to elevate you. He doesn't want to elevate you on, in the wrong manner, in the wrong way. Sometimes, you know, it's self-elevation, right? Let me tell you about me, and if we have time, we'll get to you. Amen? But you see, when we come and say, God, I just want to humble myself under your, under your mighty hand. And God says, if you will allow me, I will bring to your life the things that you need and the things that are best for you. You remember the life of Joseph? If you ever read this scripture in the book of Genesis about Joseph, he's the guy that started out, you know, kind of flaunting his, his prophetic gift. The father loved him more than the brothers, and he was always giving these visions and these dreams about how his brothers were going to bow down and acknowledge him. Well, you know, I've not had a brother, but I would think that that would not go well. And they decided to put him in a pit. They said, let's just put him in a pit and let the wild animals get him. Now, that's pretty harsh sibling rivalry, isn't it? Well, then they came to their senses. They said, let's get him out of here and just sell him to the Egyptians. Now, think about this. Now they said, let's profit from our brother and let's get him as far away as he possibly can. They didn't know what they were doing and Joseph didn't know what was happening. But that was step one in the exaltation by God's design. God would take him down to Egypt. He would put him in Potiphar's house. And there he probably thought, well, you know, this is not a bad gig. I'm, I'm here living in a, in, a, in a home of the wealthy and, and things are going pretty well. And then it seems that Joseph was a good-looking man. Potiphar's wife noticed. And she, on many occasions, tried to seduce him, and he refused, and he was honorable. He, he was walking with God. And finally, she, she made one last advance, and he ran out the door, said, it's a good time to get out of, out of Dodge. And she grabbed his coat, and then when her husband came home, she said, he tried to seduce me. Now, here's Joseph. Does this sound like the way that you want to be exalted. Now, what happens? They put him in prison. God, I don't understand what's going on. Have you ever lived those Joseph moments where you think, wow, you know, I had a setback. All of a sudden, things are looking good. You get another setback. You go, God, are, are you aware of me? Because I'm aware of me. Everybody around me is aware of me, but you seem to be neglecting me. He puts him in prison. He's there, he's thinking like, what is going on here, God? And opportunity comes to give another prophetic word. And he thinks that the king is now, and no, no he's stuck there again. But as it comes, it finally ends, and you'll know the story, many of you, that he's finally, he gives us vision of this end time kind of experience for the life of Egypt. He said there's gonna be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And it turned out that Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. He was exalted to number two in the entire kingdom of Egypt. Now, that might sound like that was what God was doing. That was not what God was doing. God was answering the question, how do I use Joseph 
for the glory of God. See, your exaltation may not be that you get that raise. You may get that opportunity. It may be that you finally understand why you're on planet Earth. Joseph came to understand he was put there to save the messianic line of Jesus. Think about that. When they came looking for food because of the famine, he was feeding his family. He was allowing God's perfect plan, he didn't know it, to work out so that you and I would have a Savior named Jesus because that was that messianic line that came through there. See, the purpose sometimes is so different that you can't plot it on a map. You can't calculate what God is doing. Sometimes you just have to wait and step back and go, oh, now I see what you're up to, God. And if you walk humbly before God and you walk in the fear of God, you're gonna be able to see those things much clearer and much quicker than if you don't. So let's look what happens here as we go on with the story that God works in mysterious ways. Can we all say amen to that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think, I think, well, God, this is, I didn't see this coming. I make these great plans and none of them work. And then God throws something in my lap and it works. I'm going, God, I don't get this. It's not, and God is saying, it's not that I don't want you to plan. I don't want you to trust your plans completely. I want you to trust me. You see, many of the ways of man, but God directs his steps. Amen? So look what it says in 2 Kings 5. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Does that sound like what's happening today? The hostages taken out of Gaza? You see, this has been going on for thousands of years. And it, but watch what God does with one of these captives, this girl. She waited on Naaman's wife. Surely that was an accident. You got a a young woman who believes God, who understands enough to look back on time and say, I remember there was a prophet, look what she said. She said to her mistress, if only my master were, the, uh, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Well, that's probably the best news the wife has ever heard. She's living with the agony and the pain of, of her husband's leprosy day in and day out. Fearful that she will catch leprosy. Fearful her children will catch leprosy. She's living with shame. The only thing that got him through this, he was a great battle commander. And they loved him because of that, even though he was a leper. And this is what she said. Thus and thus said the girl, who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. So now he's got the political clout to have an entrance into the prophet. And he thinks he's going to have to buy his way in. Why did he think that way? Well, you remember his problem. His problem was he was a great man. He was honored in his land. He was a man filled with pride. He thought, my skill and my money can get anything done in life. So he takes it with him. But you see, if you look at the story, it is that God arranges people and circumstances in your life that you never would have dreamed of. There are people you know today that have changed your life. They've made a difference in your life. They've made a difference in your children's lives. And you didn't arrange it. You didn't see it coming, but you know it. And that's why I like to say you've got to expect the unexpected in your life. Wake up every morning and say, God, I don't know what to expect, but it's going to be unexpected and it's going to be good. And if, I, if you have that spirit of optimism when you look at life, 
you're gonna find some good. Try the other one and see how it works for you. God, I just think it's a lousy day and I think it's all gonna be bad from downhill from here. You will find every person with that same mindset all day long. I remember one time we were praying about moving to Ohio. We actually did. Our daughter was born there. It was a good thing that came out of it. But we said, how are we going to know the will of God if we're supposed to move to Ohio and pastor this church? We started seeing license plates from Ohio. <laughs> Have you ever noticed this? You say, and you go, that must be a sign from God. Look at that. There's another Ohio. I've never seen an Ohio license plate before. And next thing you know, you're, 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 cha- you're, you're calculating the will of God on a license plate. Well, we went there, and we were there 24 hours, knew it was the wrong place to be. <laughs> I'm not lying. 24 hours. I start preparing resumes the day the. 24 hours later, I said, I got to get out of here. This is like, this, what am I doing here? And God said, I'm just going to leave you there for six years. <clears throat> I mean, I couldn't even get invited to No Hope Baptist Church. <laughs> now, we had some great friends there. We had some great times there, and we were blessed there. But, you know, sometimes look, God will let you get a little off mark to bring you back to where he wants you to be. Don't be discouraged by that. Just say, God, I'm glad I've learned something here. Amen? All right. You see, the mystery on the way of the way God works exceeds our understanding. God is not distant or detached, but actively bringing people and circumstances together to fulfill and to accomplish his will and to bless his children. You see, we know that God works all things together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, we know that if God is for us, you know the rest of it. What does it say? Who can be against us? Through him who loved us, for I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So don't be surprised when you see the hand of God in your life this week bringing about the miracle that you have declared over your business, over your home, over your finances. Can you say amen? Don't be surprised when the tides turn in your favor. Don't be surprised when the enemies that have come against you are now working to bless you. Don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit gives you new insights and revelation from the Word of God. This is how God is working in your life. You receive it and you declare it. Can you say, I receive it and I declare it? You see, God wants you to be actively involved in the working out of his plan and his will in your life. You do that through obedience. You see, Naaman, it wasn't a faith matter. He'd already exercised faith. He said, I believe the man in Israel can do this. I'll probably have to pay him some money, but he had faith that there was going to be success, but he didn't have obedience. Let me show you what happens here. You see, faith is often unreasonable. Have you ever prayed about something and just said, I'm just going to give this to God, and then you talked yourself out of it about five minutes later? Well, you know, I know God's probably working here, but I better help him out a little bit. (laughs) Have you ever done this, or is it just me, right? Some of you are like, you're so spiritual, you wouldn't even raise your hand tell. Admit it. All right, now, 2 Kings, let's look what it says. 2 Kings 5, 9. Now, Naaman went with his horses, his chariots. He stood at the door of Elisha's house, 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. That's pretty simple. I love the fact that Elisha didn't even go to the door. Imagine the army out there. Imagine this regal display. This great commander from from Syria is out there and Elisha is in the back room. I don't know what he's doing. He's not concerned about this. He said, oh yeah, I heard he was coming. Just go ahead and tell him to go wash seven times in the Jordan. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the, of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He thought there's a show coming, gonna be a great spectacle here. We're gonna have the man of God come out and do this, and you see, Naaman, because he was a man of pride, he couldn't see the miracle of God. Pride will keep you from change. Pride will keep you from a miracle. Pride will keep you even when you have faith. It's an amazing story because we so many times think I just need faith. Sometimes what you really need is obedience. Just say, yes, God, I'm gonna do everything you revealed to me to do. And look at this. <laughs> I love this. Uh, it says, are not the Abana and the uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? In other words, Jordan River was not the nicest river in that part of the world. Why, we've got better rivers. Could I not wash in them to be clean? So he turned away in rage. I hear people all the time that say, you know, I'm mad at God. I say, well, how's that working for you? He doesn't seem to be too disrupted in heaven because of your anger. You seem to be the disrupted one. You're always telling everybody you're mad at God. I, I, I'm a pretty practical guy. I like to go to the solution side of things. If you're grumbling and, and mad at God and it's not helping you, maybe you need a new strategy. I'm just thinking, amen? All right, let's look what it says in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Obedience. What has God shown you in your life that you haven't been faithful to be obedient in? I want you just to think about that. I want you to think about your faith. You probably got all the faith you need. Do you have all the obedience you need? See, sometimes it's just that still small voice that God speaks in and, and you kind of think, yeah, I'm gonna get around to that. It's, it's kind of akin to, have you ever laid in bed and you had like four things you wanted to do and you know you'll, you'll remember them and then you get up and you forgot all four of them, right? That's how it is sometimes when we hear the voice of God. He speaks so tenderly and so quietly and we think we're always gonna remember that voice, that, that message from God, and we forget it. And then something will jolt us back, and maybe a message like this, or you're in your prayer time, or you're, you know, someone gives you a word, and you're just like, you know, I do remember telling God I would do that. Fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. God is waiting for you. You see, the, the point of return is the point of departure. Where did you depart from obedience? 
Was it something simple? You say, well, it really wasn't that big deal. I don't know why God would hold up the blessings on me for that because God is looking for obedience, not sacrifice. God is looking for your life and your heart and your love more than everything else. He says, if I have that, I can do anything with you. I want you just to think about that for a moment. Just think about, God, what is there in my life? Is there anything? And guess what? You know how quickly you can respond to God in obedience like that? Like that? You say, well, if I'm just obedient to God, how long is it going to take God to forgive me or bring me back in? Just instantaneous. Just like that. You mean it's not a week? No. That's how you treat your friends. You know, if you're nice for a week, I'll bring you back in. That's not how God is. So here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to make room for God to do something big in your life through obedience. Make room to allow God to do something big in your life just through obedience. And then, remember this, reason apart from revelation can separate you from a miracle. You can reason through, you can humanly kind of process how things work and how God works and what the scripture says, but you need a revelation from God. You need God to speak to you. Right now, just God, speak to me. That should be your prayer. God, would you speak to me? Would you show me right now? And I've found typically it's the first thing I hear. It's reason that starts coming up with a list. God, man, I got a list here. Let me pick the least painful one. No, God will just say, that's it. And you go, that's it, God, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. So I want you to stand with me right now. Whether you're in this room or you're outside or you're watching online, I want you to do this. I want you to just ask yourself this, God, what is the one thing that I need to be obedient in today? How many of you think you've got that? Just raise your hand. You say, I I think I've figured that one out. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is, okay? So don't get nervous here. Just raise your hand right now. Just say, I think I know what that one is. Just keep your hand up for a minute. Now, with your hand up, God, let's just repeat after me. God, I yield. I submit. And I come in obedience to you. I ask you, God, to to strengthen me, to let me walk in humility, let me walk in power and authority in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Now, some of you couldn't raise your hand because God hasn't shown anything yet. That's okay. You just lean into that and say, God, would you just show me? Would you allow me? Because I don't want anything keeping me from experiencing the fullness of the revelation, the power of God. Amen? All right. We're going to sing, and as we sing today, I want you to to let your voice just be a a voice of obedience and a voice of faith unto God, saying, God, I'm leaning into you. I'm following you 100% God. Uh, Sink or swim, I'm following Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.